welcome. If you're streaming with us today and, and you're new to this place or new to, to my face or who we are, I'm Kyle Jones, lead pastor here at New Life Community Church. And uh, again, just want to say thank you and, and thanks for bearing with us through that. Uh, we're going to jump into Acts today. And so if you have your Bible, you can turn to Acts chapter 21. Uh, we're going to continue in our series that we've been doing, uh, which has just been walking through the book of Acts, chapter by chapter, uh, you know, verse by verse, and uh, looking at the beginning of the church, the history of the church. Where did it start? How did it start? What's its purpose? And so we just kind of laid out at the beginning of this whole thing that Acts is revealing to us the mission of Christ through the people of Christ. And so we're going to get to see that on full display, uh, really as we have each week, but here in the life of Paul, what this really meant for him. And, and for you and I, what does it mean for us to live our lives for Christ? I mean, what does that really mean? When we say follow Jesus, what are we talking about? And so I want to talk to you today about following Jesus and what it looks like and what it costs and, and, and what it brings, what reward is there for this. And so if you will, Acts 21, uh, last week what we looked at was Paul's farewell address to the elders at Ephesus. He had called them to himself. They met on the beach there as they're getting ready to, to depart and uh, and he gives them just some words of advice. He exhorts them to follow uh, the Lord, to, 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 um, to, to care for themselves, and to look out for themselves as they also look out for those who were given to their care, you know, those who had been bought with the blood of Jesus, the flock of Christ. Uh, he also let them know that this would be the last time that they got to see him. He was pretty sure this is it. This will be the last time... I get to see you guys, and well, why? Well, Paul, since chapter 19, at least, as we see it revealed to us, I'll read it to you in a second, Paul was convinced that I must go to Jerusalem. He's being led by the Spirit, he says, to get to Jerusalem. And so he's just been kind of making a beeline, as, at least as quick as you could back then, to travel to Jerusalem. And we'll see more of his journey in our text today. But before we dive into it, let me just pray for us. I ask the Lord to kind of settle our hearts and our minds here and, and, and to receive from Him through His Word what it is He would have us to hear today. Heavenly Father, I, th I thank You just humbly for Your Word or the fact that You have given us a book with, through which You speak to our hearts and minds. Hebrews tells us that the very words of this book are your words and that they pierce down to the very depths of who we are, revealing all that is in us, making us more like Christ. And so we thank you that also as uh, Paul writes in 2 Timothy 3, that these words are profitable uh, for teaching and correction and reproof and training and all godliness that the man of God may be complete and fit for every good work. So would you train us now? Would you teach us now? Would you reprove or correct in us now things that need reproving or correcting so that we may follow you faithfully? That's our heart now is to follow you. We, we want to live our lives, every fiber of our being desires, Lord, to follow you. And where we don't desire that, where there's parts in us that don't, would you cleanse us today 
We thank you for your spirit, which resides in us for such a task. We thank you that you're with us now. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. So just want to lay before you uh, this big idea, and we're going to walk through it today. Uh, if you want to follow Jesus, you must resolve daily to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Him. That's where I want to go. So Paul is on his way to Jerusalem, and, and Romans, um, sorry, Acts uh, 19.21, we read there that Paul resolved in the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. It means the Holy Spirit was directing him to go. He was resolved to follow Christ wherever he led. And then again, again, in chapter 20, uh, verses 22 through 24, we read this. This was last week during the farewell address. He says this to those elders there. He says, uh, And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit. That means he was bound by the Spirit as one is bound to their spouse. And, and it's really an even greater binding than that. He says, I'm constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there. So I don't know what's going to happen in Jerusalem, except that I'm supposed to go there. And then he goes on and adds this. He says, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city. So as he's traveling to Jerusalem, in every city, the Spirit is testifying to him that imprisonment and afflictions await me at Jerusalem. But I do not, don't miss verse 24, he says, but I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. So Paul's constrained, he's bound to go to Jerusalem, he's not quite sure what awaits him there except that in every city he lands in, as he's on his way, the Spirit is telling him, either through others, as we'll see today, or even just bearing witness within himself, that imprisonment and afflictions await him. But he's not worried about that because he doesn't count his life as anything to be held on to. Rather, he's willing to give up everything for the sake of Christ. So along the way, the Spirit is preparing Paul for this calling, preparing Paul to finish this race well. So Paul resolves within himself to go to Jerusalem, even if imprisonments and afflictions await him there, because the one whom he is bound to, God, is leading him by the Spirit to go there, and nothing is more important than following the Lord. Now, how does one achieve such an intimacy in following Christ, like this kind of intimacy that leads that person to count their life as no value or as not as precious to themselves. I believe that what we see here in Paul and what we see throughout the New Testament, and specifically as we'll look at in a little bit, Jesus' command to follow Him and what that looks like, I believe that this kind of intimacy in following Jesus comes from continually, daily, denying yourself, taking up your cross, following Him day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, decade after decade. You get the point. It's a lifelong calling 
to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Jesus. It's not a one-hour or one-moment commitment. That one moment of transformation or conversion may change your life forever, but it's going to result in a daily commitment to follow Jesus Christ. It's going to result in daily taking up your cross, daily denying yourself, daily saying, I'm going to follow you, Lord, wherever you lead. And so I say again, if you want to follow Jesus, you must resolve daily to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Him. Let's look at what happens here in 21, 1 through 16. And when He had parted from them and set sail, we came by a straight course to Kos, and the next day to Rhodes, and from there to Patera, and having found a ship crossing to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. When we had come in sight of Cyprus, leaving it on the left, we sailed to Syria and landed at Tyre. For there the ship was to unload its cargo. And having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days, and through the Spirit they were telling Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. When our days there were ended, we departed and went on our journey. And they all, with wives and children, accompanied us until we were outside the city. And kneeling down on the beach, we prayed and said farewell to one another. Then we went on board the ship, and they returned home. When we had finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived at Ptolemus, and we greeted the brothers and stayed with them for one day. On the next day, we departed and came to Caesarea, and we entered the house of Philip the Evangelist who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. While we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, Let the will of the Lord be done. After these days, we got ready and went up to Jerusalem, and some of the disciples from Caesarea went with us, bringing us to the house of Manasseh of Cyprus, an early disciple with whom we should lodge. This passage really puts in fuller detail, or kind of just gives us the details, I should say, of what Paul meant by what he said in Acts 20.23, 20, where he talks about how the Holy Spirit was testifying to him in every city that imprisonments and afflictions await him at Jerusalem. As these companions of Paul see through the Spirit what awaits him there in Jerusalem, they begin urging him not to go. Our first example are these disciples at Tyre. In verse 4, what we read kind of on the surface, seems to suggest that the Spirit was now telling Paul not to go to Jerusalem through them. 
but chapter 19 and 20, where we see Paul's conviction or his resolve or his being constrained by the Spirit to go, tells us that the Spirit is leading Paul to Jerusalem. So, is the Spirit of God contradicting Himself here? No. God will never contradict Himself. He will not ever say one thing while doing another. He will not do one thing and say another. God is unchanging. He is always the same. This is why He is worthy of our trust. If He were a God who changed, if He were a God who looked different today than He did yesterday or today than He does tomorrow, how could we trust Him? How could we find Him faithful? But He doesn't change, and so therefore He is trustworthy, and He is faithful. God is not, as 1 Corinthians 14 tells us, the author of any confusion. Rather, He is the author of clarity. He's the one who brings things into true view, where we can see them as they are. These disciples are hearing a word, or they're seeing a vision, but however it's coming, the Holy Spirit is telling them something. The Spirit is telling them what Paul will face in Jerusalem. And so they see this, this brother that they love, they see this vision of things to come in Jerusalem, and they're heartbroken. They're, they're wrenched within themselves by the thought of their dear brother being imprisoned and persecuted and potentially martyred. So they urge him not to go. Now it's important to see here that the Spirit does not tell them to urge Him not to go. The Spirit simply reveals what was coming. Like it's a way of preparing both the apostle and his followers, or these people who follow Jesus with Him, for what's coming. Our second example is the disciples um, that are with Him, the disciples that He goes and sees there with Philip and his daughters, uh, Agabus, the warning that comes through this prophet, and then those companions, as I mentioned a moment ago, that are, that are there with him. Philip, the evangelist, is one of the first persons we see here. He's one of the seven, if you remember back in, earlier in Acts, who was chosen as the church was exploding. And the apostles say, we've got to devote ourselves to the prayer and to the, re, uh, to the teaching of God's Word. And so we need some men who are of good repute, who, who we can put in place uh, to make sure these Grecian widows are being fed. He's one of those seven who are chosen. Stephen was another one. Well, if you remember Paul, or Saul at that time as we knew him, oversaw the stoning of Peter. The church was under great persecution at the hands of Paul. And from that, Philip, he scatters along with many of the believers in that day, and he becomes an evangelist. And here he is again, and now guess who's coming to stay with him? Paul. It's Really quite amazing the way God orders things in our lives. And so uh, Philip here is an evangelist. He has four daughters who have been gifted by the Spirit to be prophets. Most likely they're telling Paul the same things. Here's what awaits you. And then Agabus shows up again. Now Agabus came earlier in Acts to Antioch to give this warning of a coming famine. And so the church there at Antioch was able to raise support for their brothers and sisters in the church of Judea and, and help them out during the famine. 
Here, Agabus prophesies, even acts out his prophecy as Old Testament prophets were prone to do also, a warning that at Jerusalem, the Jews are going to arrest Paul. They're going to bind him up. He's going to face afflictions. And so hearing the warnings, Luke and company begin to plead with Paul, don't go. You have these warnings here from the Spirit. Surely it means that you're not supposed to go to Jerusalem. It's also important to note that they weren't disobeying God by doing so. They were just simply hearing a warning and they're interpreting it according to their own desires, their own affections, what they want for their brother, namely that he would live and get to stay with them. They didn't hear from the Spirit that Paul, being bound by the Spirit, must go. That's what Paul knew. Paul knew his calling. He knew what he was supposed to do. And so Paul responds to their pleas. He says, what are you doing? Weeping and breaking my heart. For I'm ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Do you remember what Jesus told Ananias when Paul was converted? Paul's blinded by this vision that he has of Christ, where he sees Christ on the road. And, and, and so Jesus picks Ananias to go to Paul, and he wants him to pray over him so that these scales would fall off of his eyes. And Ananias is like, no, Jesus, you've got to understand, this guy is sent here to persecute people like me, people who are following you. Like he, He's been given an order to do it. He can kill us. Are you, are you sure I'm not doing it. And Jesus assures him. He says, no, go. He says, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and before the kings and before the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Paul's response to the disciples in Acts 21 basically mirrors that early calling that he had from Christ. You have to believe that Paul lived his entire life for Christ because of this calling, especially through the afflictions he faced. I mean, he gets stoned and he's up the next day moving on to the next city, left for dead. He experiences things like shipwreck and snake bites and all sorts of things. And he just goes on to the next place. He understood that this was part of the calling that Christ had given him. Paul was convinced that nothing else in the world mattered more than living all of his life, every part of it, for Christ, to make his name wonderful. Paul wrote, I count... He wrote this in Philippians chapter 3. He said, I count it all as loss. Talking about all the achievements he had as a Pharisee, as a Jew. He said, I count it all as loss for the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. Another clue to this, that this is how he lived his life, is in his phrasing. And he uses the phrase, what are you doing? He says, breaking my heart. It means something far deeper than sadness as you and I are prone to use that today. We, we talk about how someone breaks our heart if 
They say they love us and then one day they don't love us. You, you broke my heart. Or if something doesn't go the way we thought it should, it breaks our heart. Most of the time when we say that, we're talking about sadness. We're talking about how we're kind of wrenched within and, and, and we're upset about it. But Paul has something far deeper in mind here when he uses the phrase, break my heart and you're breaking my heart. The, the word here, the Greek word that's used here, means to deprive of strength and courage. You're, you're depriving me and begging me not to go. You're depriving me of strength and courage. I, I need you in this moment not to deprive me of that, but to strengthen and encourage me to go. You're dispiriting me, meaning you're, you're crushing me from within. You're taking away my resolve to do this. He also meant you're incapacitating me for enduring this trial. You're making it hard on me to go do this. It's a gentle rebuke. It's a pleading for them to encourage him. And when the Bible speaks of the heart, it nearly always means the center of the man, the center of the person, right? Like it's the makeup of who we are. It's the mind. It's the spirit or soul. It's the, it's the heart. It's everything within us. What it has in mind is the fountain and the seat of our thoughts, our passions, our desires, our affections, our appetites, and our purposes. So, in other words, Paul is saying, what are you guys doing right now? You're discouraging me from following the very will of God, the call of God on my life. This is what I was chosen for. This is what was announced to me when Christ saved me, is that I must suffer much for His name. Paul must be thinking as he's saying this, I've already given my life in service for the Lord. I've already counted it all as loss in service of, of Him for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ as my Lord. It's not my own. My life is not my own. And Paul, Paul says, in fact, in Galatians 2.20, this life is not my own. I belong to Him. He's saying to them, I will do whatever He leads me to do. And then by using the phrase, you're breaking my heart, He's appealing to them. He's saying, do not weep over me. Rejoice with me that I have been counted worthy for such service to the Lord. This is my calling. This is what I must Go do. Don't you understand this? And his companions and all those who are standing around, we read here that since he would not be persuaded, they said, let the will of the Lord be done. So, what, what does a passage like this mean for you and for me? What does this mean for our lives as we're looking to follow Jesus? One of Paul's more well-known statements, one of the things he says so often, and I just think, man, it's, it's almost 
comes across braggadocious, but it's not at all. It's, it's very humble, but what he says is, follow me as I follow Christ, or imitate me as I follow Christ. The apostle says that or things similar quite often in his letters. And I think when we read words like that in the Bible, follow me as I follow Christ, or imitate me as I follow Christ, I th- I think we're tempted to hear his words and to think of all the just wonderful things that Paul does in his life. Many proclaim the gospel to thousands across thousands of miles in multiple missionary journeys. He healed people. God, through him, healed people. He endured many afflictions, abuse, He wrote letters that we read today that the Holy Spirit inspired. The very words of God coming through His personality and fingertips and pen. And I think we see those things and we hear Him say, follow me as I follow Christ, and and we wonder how could we possibly do that? And what we need to understand is that many of those things, many of the things we admire most about Paul, just the wonderful things that he does, are, have nothing to do with what he means when he says, follow me as I follow Christ. It's not about the specifics of the doing that he has in mind. It's about the heart that he has in mind. Many of those specific things are for Paul alone meaning God had a special calling for Paul to be one of his apostles. So then, what could he mean by follow me as I follow Christ? What what could that mean for you and I today and that would be helpful for us? What do his companions need to see as he's following Jesus? I think scriptures reveal that he had a deep understanding of Jesus' words in Matthew 16. Let me set the stage for you. It's it's very similar to to what we're seeing here in Acts 21. The parallels are, are fascinating. Jesus is telling his disciples, he's got them gathered around, he's telling his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, that he will suffer many things at the hands of the Jews, that he will be killed, and this part's a bit different from what Paul would experience, he will be raised on the third day. Though Paul did experience a raising of eternal value. Peter pulls Jesus to the side after hearing these words, And in typical Peter fashion, he rebukes Jesus. (laughs) He says, he pulls him to the side and he's like, let's just talk for a second. God forbid it, Lord, are the words he uses. He looks at Jesus, the very Son of God, and he says, God forbid it, Lord. This shall never happen to you. As long as I'm here, this ain't happening. And Jesus turns to Peter and he says to him, Get behind me, Satan. 
He goes on to say, as if that's not enough, he goes on to say, you are a stumbling block to me. For you are not setting your mind. Don't miss this. He says, for you are not setting your mind on God's interest, but man's. Wow. But who, if in Peter's shoes, in that moment, wouldn't say the very same thing to Jesus? Who, if in the shoes of Paul's companions here, standing around as you're, you're hearing these warnings and these things that are coming, who of us wouldn't beg him not to go, especially in light of what you saw happen to Christ? And, and that's the point. That, that's the point that Jesus makes to Peter. It's the point that Paul's making to his companions here. We must set our mind. You must set your mind. I must set my mind on God's interest, not man's, not our own. Look at what Jesus says after His interaction with Peter here in verse 24, 27, Matthew chapter 16. You can turn there if you've got a Bible. Uh, if not, and the kids are going crazy and it's hard, I, I get it. <laughs> I'll just read it for you and try to listen. Matthew 16, 24. And Jesus, after this interaction with Peter, it says, then Jesus told His disciples. So He turns from Peter he begins to address all the disciples. He says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. He goes on to say some things that really reveal what's happening in denying yourself, taking up your cross, and following Jesus. He says, for whoever would save his life will lose it. So if in your desire you want to save your life, you're going to lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What did Paul just say? He said, I'm willing to give my life even unto death for the sake of Christ. That's finding true life. In verse 26, Jesus goes on, He says, for what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? In other words, to sell out for the world and to gain all the things in the world and to become powerful or mighty in the world, even if it's just a small expression of the world like in your job or in your home or, or, or just kind of in your life, whatever that may be. If you sell out to become the man or the woman, in your world, you're going to lose your soul. You have to. There's no middle ground here. There's no spot where you get to say, well, I'm going to keep my soul on one hand, and then on the other hand, I'm going to get to follow Jesus. It's not happening. Christ says in Matthew 6, you cannot serve two masters. You'll be one, loyal to one and hate the other. There's no in-between in life. You were either following Jesus or you were following Satan. It's bottom line. So he goes on to say, for what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? 
And verse 20 says, he says, For the Son of Man, now he's talking about himself, is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. So it matters what you choose to do with Christ or not. It matters eternally. So to follow Paul as he follows Christ simply means to follow Christ as Christ commanded anyone to follow him. If you want to follow Jesus, you must resolve daily to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Him. Let me look real quickly at what deny yourself means. What are, what are we saying when we say deny yourself? This word deny literally means to forget oneself or to lose sight of one's own interest. It, it doesn't mean that you can't be you. It doesn't mean that your personality must now shift from really who you are into something cookie cutter that looks like everyone else. It, it, it's not that. Really what denying yourself to, and then following Jesus means is that you're giving up whatever you think is best for your life and you're taking on what the Creator of life says is best for your life. So it doesn't mean that you lose you. It become, means that you become the greatest expression of who you are truly created to be, namely, alive in Christ and an ambassador for His namesake. And we know that it isn't some lesser version of life filled with ho-humness and glibness or dullness because Jesus says, whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Now, what Jesus has in mind when He says we'll find life, He doesn't have anything that's ho-hum or dull in mind. You should not observe other Christians always and decide, oh, that's what it means to follow Jesus. No, we should look into the Scriptures and say, what does it mean for me to follow the Lord? What does He have in mind? Jesus in John chapter 15 says abiding in Him, meaning following Him, listening to His commands and obeying them, leads to being His disciples, which leads to a fullness of joy. He says that my joy may be complete in you. The very joy of Christ complete in us is the result of following Jesus. So we don't follow Jesus to give up joy. We don't have to give up joy to follow Jesus. In fact, we take on the greatest expression of joy known to any human when we follow Jesus. It's not ho-hum or dull. It's fascinating. It's life-giving. It's wonderful. It's awesome. And it inspires in John chapter 10, Jesus says, The thief comes to steal and to kill and to destroy, but I come, He says, to give you life, and life more abundantly. So again, there's, there's two roads here. There's a road that leads to death, 
and there's a road that leads to life, and Jesus says, it's me, I've come to give you life, and life, the fullness thereof in some translations. So in John chapter 14, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Listen, if you want to truly live, deny yourself and come to Christ. Follow Him. So deny yourself, and then He says, take up your cross. Now, the idea of taking up your cross literally means to crucify your flesh. So, so we don't simply put aside our own desires. We, we don't simply take on the desires of Christ one time and then that's it. We get to go do kind of whatever we want. We live our lives this way. The heart of man is never short on producing idols. There will always be things vying for our affections in this world. There will always be things springing up within us that long to have their affections satisfied in the things of this world. And you and I must understand that we are not bound to this flesh anymore. We are alive in Christ, meaning our minds have been set free to serve the Lord by the Spirit. So we combat that vying for affections that's within us. We combat that flesh by daily crucifying it, daily laying down our own desires, daily saying, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. We destroy its power utterly when we confess these nasty, awful, selfish desires within ourselves, and we take on the desires of Christ. Psalm 37 says that if we'll delight ourselves in the Lord, He will give us the desires of our heart, meaning that as we're delighting ourselves in Him, He gives us new desires, desires that are good and right and holy and lead to living our lives for the sake of His name. One thing we need to understand about taking up your cross, crucifying that flesh, it's not going to be easy. The sense here is that you're taking up a cross. You're taking up your life. You're laying it down. There's nothing easy about that, but we must understand that it's necessary for those who follow Jesus. It's necessary. We must do it. We don't get to simply add Jesus to our lives like we might choose to add whipped cream to the top of a milkshake as though He is some added benefit for some, and for others, He's unnecessary. Jesus Christ is essential to life. He's necessary for all if we hope to truly live. And following Him requires us to give up our lives as He gave up His What He had in heaven, it says He gave it up, became like us, suffered even to the point of death on a cross, suffered and rose again on the third day, and now He sits in heaven with a name that is above every other name, the name on which one day 
Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that He is Lord. Must follow His example of humility, follow His example of living life, total abandonment for God. He died so that you and I may die to ourselves and come alive in Him as we repent of our sins and confess our faith in Jesus. So deny yourself, take up your cross, and finally follow Him. And what does He have in mind when He says, follow me? He means, become my disciple. Walk with me daily. Be with me. Oftentimes we look at the life of the disciples and we, we might be a bit jealous they got to walk with Jesus. They got to sit down and eat with Christ and, and talk about the things of life and hear Him laugh and, and joke and give them instruction and even have them rebuke them. We might look at that and say, man, I, that must have been so much easier, so much better. And it's Christ Himself and John who says, it's better or it's good for me that I go away because when I go away, I'm going to send a helper for you. A helper is the Holy Spirit. He'll come and He'll be with you so that me and the Father may live in you. You see, Christ tells His own disciples, it's good that I go away because when the helper comes, that's me living in you now. I'm with you every single day that as you're trying to follow me, I'm walking with you. As you're following me, I'm teaching you, I'm reproving, I'm correcting, I'm helping you walk hand in hand. I'm helping you obey my commands. I'm reassuring you that I'm here, that I'm with you, that I love you. That you're mine forever. Nothing can change that. You and I have the Spirit as a witness and a seal of that glorious inheritance that we'll have one day in heaven. We have it now. We live eternally now. We, as e we are as eternal now in the flesh as we get to be one day. I, what I mean by that is it's fully, it'll be fully realized one day. But right now, it's already ours. The Spirit assures us of this. He's the guarantee of that inheritance. And so we are now, if you're following Jesus, if you've placed your faith in Jesus, you are now His disciple. Meaning He's walking with you, you're walking with Him. You've chosen to learn from Him and He's teaching you. You desire to obey Him because He's giving you the desires to obey Him. He's revealing to you when you disobeyed Him so that you can obey Him and know true life. You love Him more than anything else in this life. You understand that the greatest joy to be known to man is found by abiding in Him. So what are you going to do? What are, what are you going to do? Or are you going to follow Jesus? And I mean truly follow Jesus in, in such a way that you're following the first 
two commands of Christ for those who want to follow Him. That is, you're denying yourself and you're taking up your cross. Are you going to follow Him in that way? You must deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Him if you want to be a true follower of Jesus. That means you must deny your desires, deny your vision for your life, crucify it daily, follow Him by turning from your own interest and turn towards His, His interest for life, His interest for you. So, two quick ways to, to follow Him daily. The, the first, I would say, is prayer. You communicate to God daily in prayer. A good prayer for us to pray when we wake up in the morning is to, as soon as our feet hit the floor, to stop and to thank Him for life, to exalt Him as God, and to say, not my will, but yours be done today. I don't want to live for me, I want to live for you. The second thing I would add is go to the Scriptures. Read your Bibles. Follow along with our reading plan. Look and see Jesus. And when you read it, don't just gloss over it, but find a phrase or a word or a verse or a paragraph that you can think about throughout the day, that you can chew on and say, man, that, that's really... Let's see what that means for my life. What does God mean when He put that in His book? Why did He write that? Ask the Spirit to give you understanding. It's what it means to follow Jesus. It's this idea of just daily, day after day, week after week, year after year, decade after decade, saying, not my will, but yours be done. I'm going to crucify my flesh I want to go to your word. I want to see what's your will for my life. And I want to follow it. Help me do that today. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, for your salvation. I thank you for giving your son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sins so that we may come alive in him. We may walk fully with him. So help us today as those who are choosing to follow you to say, I'm going to follow you because Christ is my example. I'm going to follow you because Christ went to the cross and He gave His life for me that I might truly live. And I believe in Him. So now help me to live a life that exalts His name in all the earth so that others may come to know You, may come to follow You. Help me, Lord, to trust You when life is difficult, when the road is long and it's hard, help me to live for you day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, decade after decade. I love you, Lord. Father, if there's anybody listening today and they don't know you, they're not, they're not following Christ, would you save them now? Would you, the, would you regenerate their heart by your Spirit? Would you grant them faith 
in Christ, that their life may be forever made new. We love you. We thank you that salvation is ours in Jesus Christ. Help us to be committed to him. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I want to thank you for listening today, for tuning in. Thanks for bearing with us through the, the issues we had earlier. Uh, if you have any questions about following Jesus or more resources for that, or, or just questions about maybe you're an unbeliever. Like, Man, I, I've got questions about what you mean by these things, what that looks like. I'd love to engage with you and talk about that. Um, you can email me at kylej at newlifecommunity.co. Again, that's Kyle J, K-Y-L-E, the letter J, at newlifecommunity.co. I look forward to visiting with you. Thank you again. Have a great day.